On today's show, we are joined by Andrew Sullivan, the founder of Asian Market Sense. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning. And by Redmond Wong, market strategist at Saxe Markets. Good morning, Redmond. Morning. So it was a strong week for the markets last week, especially in the West, as the Fed held rates steady and the job numbers came in weaker than expected. So is bad news now good news? And by that, I mean, is bad news on the economic numbers good news for the stock market? I'll start with you, Andrew. Well, I think it was certainly encouraging to see that uh, yeah, the, the census was that yeah, the Fed's actions are having uh, having an impact to the impact that they want, which is to bring inflation under control. Um, and, uh, you know, that's what the market's been waiting for. But, I mean, I think uh, last week you also had Chairman Powell being very clear that rates were going to have to stay higher for longer um, and that further rate hikes would be very much data dependent. So I don't think a lot has changed, but people took it as an encouragement, certainly. Pardon? Yeah, I think uh, I think at least in the foreseeable futures, in the near term, yes. And uh, the um, bad news actually has uh, affirmed that uh, scenario of soft landing, at least for now. So that is good for risk assets, including uh, stock market. But I mean, if uh, as we expect, maybe more bad news about the economy coming and that probably that sentiment will turn a little bit more negative than. But I mean, the t- that's time for this rally to extend. And so in near term, still good for the uh, stock market. And, have, and on top of the Fed, I mean, you also have, you know, more than around 80 percent of the S&P 500 companies already announced earnings. And uh, I I think the 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 number of a company beating uh, the the earning estimate by more than one standard deviation actually above uh, average. So um, yeah, I mean also you have good news on the earning front to support this rally. So it will run for a while, but I mean if more bad news coming as we expect going into uh, early next years, and that will maybe more bumpy. So when does bad news become bad news, i.e. when does the market then decide it wants to turn? I mean, we had you, you talked about earnings. Apple, OK, they beat expectations, but their guidance was pretty weak, although they are normally very cautious on their guidance. But they got rewarded, the market. I mean, the stock actually rallied on the back of the earnings. So when does bad news become bad news? And start with you again, Andrew. Well, I think you saw some of those tech companies getting hit very hard. Um, And again, the expectation of higher interest rates is going to have an impact on a lot of companies. Um, I think for, you know, established market companies, maybe less so, but certainly, you know, startups uh, and companies that have been, you know, benefiting from zero interest rates are going to have a lot of problems when it comes to refinancing. Uh, And when we start seeing that impact those companies, you know, then the market's going to take another hard look at which companies it wants to invest in. And then, Redmond, you talked about earnings that beat by one standard deviation higher than average, but the overall earnings uh, beat was actually lower than average. Yeah. So it's kind of been a bit of a mixed earnings report, and guidance has generally been quite cautious. But the market, I, I mean, Andrew pointed to a few stocks that had actually gone down quite sharply, but generally the markets reacted quite okay to the earnings season. Um, so what, what is the catalyst? I, I think that the sentiment shift a little bit uh, over the last two days after FOMC and also after the refunding announcement and uh, when uh, the church were issuing actually less coupon than expected and uh, more focus on TBUs, which actually money market will take up all those uh, TBUs issue. And so the lower interest rate um, and also a more Taoist Fed. And you can see, I mean, it's in the last two days, actually those, you know, non 
unprofitable tech in the U.S. actually outperform. Even uh, ARK uh, ETF actually jumped, I think, 15 to 15, uh, 14 to 15 percent in two days. Yeah. So, I mean, the sentiment towards uh, it has moved, uh, changed to more risk on. And uh, over the last two, three days, and uh, despite, uh, you know, the outlook still quite cautious. So I think, yeah, I mean, the sentiment probably will open still good. And today we have uh, the senior lending officer survey coming out from uh, in the U.S. by uh, the survey by the Fed. And probably will be pointing to more uh, tightening in lending standard. But having said that, the, at the FOMC on Wednesday, that that report should have been already tabled for the consideration of the FOMC so the Fed knows about it. Well, we're talking about the Fed there and we're looking at the longer dated yields. They came off sharply. Um, you know, it crossed 5% early last week and now we're back down to 4.58% on the on the tenure. Is that an overreaction? Um, should rates really, I mean, should the tenure be closer to 5 or are we now getting back to something that's probably more normalised at about 45 um, again, start with you, Andrew. Well, I think it's difficult. I mean, I think the volatility that we're seeing in the bond market really just shows... Um, everybody always says the bond market's the smart money, but they're obviously a little bit confused at the moment by the, the various signals and the various bits of data that they're looking at. Um, and I think until you see stability come into the bond market, then people are going to stay a little bit more cautious on equities in the, in the time. And it's the fact that the bond, you know, the bond market is really driven by, and the Fed is driven by data, and that data isn't consistent. Consistent, you know, yes, you know, the, the warnings are there. We've we've seen one slowing of jobs number. The Fed's going to want to see a much more definite trend before it makes any, you know, dramatic decisions. Uh, but in the meantime, you know, investors are, are slightly more, I think, uh, nervous, and therefore, you know, you're seeing that volatility come through. And before we move on, one final question on the U.S. side. Is the rally going to set? Is set to stay until the end of the year? Um, I'll start with you there, Edmund. Uh, I think is uh, that will the rally probably will be on the next uh, maybe next two three weeks. But I we have a little bit more concern when it towards the end of the years and uh, the first quarter because we are expecting. Uh, maybe the time that bad news become bad news when uh, actually there's uh, the recession fear now uh, will emerge when the, some slower numbers start coming up. And also on the bond side, I think the, the short end curve will be anchored and long short term yield will come down and that will be helping. But the longer end is a lot depends on the liquidity of the market. In fact, the hedge fund commodities are very concerned and the treasury and Fed also very concerned about the potential of sudden loss of liquidity in the treasury market. That might hurt the long end and put moving up on you. But we haven't seen that yet, but uh, there's a risk towards the end of the year. Yeah, I mean, I think that's right. I mean, I think there's a lot of concern. And, of course, you've got to bear in mind that, you know, with an election next year, the Fed won't want to be moving rates in the run-up to that election. So it's only got a short period, really, where we could see it look to cut rates. Probably it would have to do it in the first quarter for fear of being seen to influence the election. So if they don't move at that point, that you're probably going to see fixed rates going through to the end of next year. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it's, uh, the Fed will probably get quite eager to cut rates if they can see uh, some window opportunity. But Powell's been pretty adamant that fact he's going to keep rates steady, so I don't really see that happening personally. But you know, well, that's but that's what the market was kind of telling you on Friday from the from the move, sir, that they are expecting the Fed to make a move. But there's only a very limited window that they can do that. I think. Okay, well, let's move 
closer, well, actually, let's move to home. Um, let's move to Hong Kong. Um, a lot of uh, chat over the weekend about Hong Kong being an international green hub, fi a financial centre for green um, bonds. Um, we've also had a lot of chat over the last week about China trying to talk up Hong Kong as an international financial hub. But then when we look at these economic numbers, they have come in weak. Um, is it enough just to say that we want to be an international green hub, um, of green financial hub, to start getting things coming back here? Or does a lot more need to be done? Um, let's start with you, Redmond. Um, I think, okay, like it took uh, two uh, perspectives. One, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, that is, of course, is uh, Hong Kong can come back as an international financial center as far as the capital market is concerned when uh, the cyclical valley in the in China actually can pick up a little more steam and then this, uh, you know, it's the IPO and bond uh, market become active again. But I mean, I am a little bit on this, but on the other perspective, I'm a little bit, you know, there's a rhetoric about green financial hub and these are things. I mean, remember now interest rate, despite the fact my cut rate, but I mean, interest rate is much higher than two, three years ago. I mean, a lot of those green projects are not making money. They are depending on zero interest rate or negative interest rate to finance. I mean, that is rhetoric, that's political. I mean, we like the idea of green. Uh, 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 a more greener uh, community, greener uh, economy uh, as uh, in the philosophical level. But I mean, in practice, if we put too much, uh, just you know, all, uh, emphasis on green um, uh, uh, financing uh, activities, there is this. Uh, I think this is uh, not very realistic. So I think it should be broader emphasis on overall capital market. Yeah, I was going to ask you that, Andrew. Is just being green too narrow? Well, I think it is, but I think it's not that green's too narrow. It's the fact that actually, probably over the last ten years, we've been able to finance green at almost zero. The reality is, though, if we want to go green, we're going to have to pay for it, uh, and that the, the the interest rates that charged on even green financing are going to have to be market rates now, uh, and that's higher than it was before. So, it, you know, the, the equation has changed, as, as Redmond said. It's it, it's uh, not enough just to be green. It's the fact that green is going to cost us. Oh, sorry, I meant more in terms of are we looking at too narrow focus? I mean, should Hong Kong not be more than just a green financial centre? I mean, should well, it not be a financial centre full stop and look at other yes, areas I mean, of the financial world? I think that's very true, but I think at the end of the day, I think as, as Redmond was indicating, it really depends on on the on the mainland markets and the Hong Kong markets to to want the, you know for the demand to come through again. Um, we're not seeing the demand coming through because obviously a lot of these companies are are, are wary about a global slowdown. Uh, there's a lack of investment investor interest in China at the moment because they're worried about the the standoff with the U.S. Uh, and with you know Europe and other countries. And you know we're seeing. Um, supply chains going to China plus one. All of those are impacting the demand for money. Uh, and until we see real demand coming out of China that's back to expansion again and growth, um, it's going to be very difficult. So, Redmond, John Lee was saying over the weekend that Hong Kong should actually be, I mean, it's been talking about it for a while, that it should be the three fair for China to go internationally and international business to go, use Hong Kong to go into China. As Andrew just said, there's not a lot of appetite, say, international going into China, but is there appetite for China to go out to the international world and therefore can Hong Kong play at least that role? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, the role, um, the, the flow still would be two-way. I mean, it depends on, you know, how much and, uh, and uh, the, I mean, Hong Kong always have that very unique role. 
and as a gateway between uh, the you know the rest of the world and China. So I think Hong Kong will continue to prosper on that particular perspective. I mean, it's but how much? I mean, of course, it's very depends on the world economy and the Chinese economy. And on top of IPO and uh, and bond, we Hong Kong's banking system is still very sound, and the syndicated loan market is still very developed. I mean, so a lot of things still to be done in Hong Kong and. Uh, and uh, both China and the U.S. and European uh, financial players will see the value here in Hong Kong and probably for the rest of Asia as well. And uh, we have certain capital uh, market activities. We still way ahead of other, uh, you know, it's, uh, Asian countries and including Singapore, I guess. So, Andrew, as Redmond just said, European U.S. companies should start seeing the value of Hong Kong. What is going to get them to see that value of Hong Kong? Well, I think his, you know, historically Hong Kong's always been uh, the beneficiary of a laissez-faire uh, government. Uh, it, it's been, you know, it's allowed the financial services to go in out and find new markets and create them, and that is what Hong Kong is good at trying to find business. I think if we get too much government regulation, that is actually going to stymie it. Uh, and I think you know, a planned economy has never worked well in Hong Kong. It's never been part of our history. It's been opportunistic and. and uh, I think hope and hope that we have those entrepreneurs that are still here to try and develop that again. Absolutely agree. I was just going to ask you, you've got about <laughs> 10 seconds, Redmond. So, yeah, uh, I absolutely agree what Andrew just said. Yeah. Okay, um, we literally have 10 seconds left. So let me just quickly ask you, what, should, what do people look at in one word this week, Andrew? I think we've been looking at the China data coming out to see how sound the economy is there. And Redmond, in one word, what do, we, what do people look at this week? Uh, I think, yeah, the China data and also uh, more whether any follow through from that uh, central national, uh, central uh, financial work conference, because it's actually, it did not mention about deleveraging. And, and by the same time, it's uh, it, a little bit more harsh on the financial sector. So uh, let's see what follow through actions coming up. That was more than one word, but thank you. Uh, that's all we have time for. So I'd like to thank Andrew Sullivan, founder of Asian Market Sense, and Redmond Wong, market strategist at Saxe Markets, for coming on.